0: Sentire media. Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 151. Milan from Visconti to Sforza, 1447
1: to 1450.
0: We last left Milan back in episode 132 with the death of Duke Filippo Maria Visconti. Although he had been deteriorating for some time, almost completely blind, heavily overweight, and basically about to kick the bucket, he had categorically refused to accept the idea of his own impending death and more complicated for those who would come afterwards made no attempt to clear up the issue of his succession things would have been bad enough he had just refused to confirm or designate an heir in his last years but he had spent almost all of his reign promising the succession to various people when it had become diplomatically convenient. So when the Duke of Milan died, all of those people, and others, were ready to stake their claim. There was a family member, Antonio Visconti, who was made legitimate early on and then sent away from the court in 1419. There was Amadeo VIII of Savoy, brother of the now widowed Duchess. There was Charles of Orléans in France, son of Valentina Visconti, who was supposed to inherit the duchy if the male Visconti line died out, as it had done. Even Alphonse of Aragon, king of Naples, claimed that at a certain point, Filippo Maria had promised him the duchy. Now, of course, there is no need to remember all of these contenders, just to show you what a messy situation he had left and sow the seeds for future complications. For example, you might want to stick a pin in the French claim to the duchy. In all of the confusion, many ignored the fact that Filippo Maria actually had a legitimate heir, and that was the duke's daughter, Bianca Maria Visconti. She had been one of the many illegitimate children of the very naughty and sexually active duke, although the heights that the Sforza would reach would make him pale in comparison. He had stuck mostly to one lover, opting to actually live with her rather than his wife. In any case, his daughter, Bianca Maria, had been made legitimate, more so she could have some guarantee of survival from the inheritance rather than getting the whole lot. Now, obviously, the fact that Bianca Maria had the most direct claim didn't amount to much as she had dared to be born a woman, and she didn't have an army to enforce her claim. She didn't, but her husband certainly did. You will remember that he was one Francesco Sforza, a mercenary captain of great fame and skill, who, like many successful venture captains, was looking to set up a little fiefdom for himself in the Romagna area. He, of course, was not at all displeased about the idea of becoming the Duke of Milan. Bianca Maria had been married to him in 1441, when she had been 16 years old and Francesco 40. But we know that was not rare at those times. Of course, if you're Silvio Berlusconi, that sort of difference is not rare these days in Italy either. His girlfriend, Marta Fascina, is 32 years old, to Silvio's, 86, a difference of 54 years. Anyway, I digress. As far as a match for a 16-year-old girl went, Francesco Sforza was a bit of a heartthrob. If it had been customary for teenage girls in the early Renaissance to have posters up in their room of the dreamiest VIPs, Francesco Sforza would have been on many a wall. He was tall and strong, and his prowess in battle was now legendary. As was his prowess in the bedroom, for that matter, or in many other locations. With Bianca Maria, he would go on to have eight children, but in total Francesco Sforza would have 35. At least to his credit, he did not abandon them to their fate and made sure that they were all taken care of. Bianca Maria, of course, was not really thrilled about this, but she knew that in many cases it was part of the game. She herself was the illegitimate daughter of Duke Filippo Maria and a noblewoman, Agnese del Maino. Bianca Maria would accept the situation in time, being always fully devoted to her husband, although she would have flare-ups. One of them came early on. As a young bride, there was a lot of pressure on Bianca Maria to very quickly produce an heir. But... When one of the Sforza's lovers, Perpetua da Varese, had a son before her, she kind of lost it. She made sure Francesco sent Perpetua away and set her up with a suitable husband. But, as she was on her way to her new home, she was ambushed, kidnapped, and killed. A chronicler close to the events, Enea Piccolomini, who would later become Pope Pius II, did not hesitate to blame Bianca Maria for the murder. If it was actually her, she never did it again, perhaps out of guilt, or perhaps appeased soon after with the birth of their first-born son, Galeazzo Maria, or maybe she didn't do it at all. Although she would later accept many of the illegitimate children of her husband, she would hold a grudge towards this first child for the rest of her life and made sure he was cut off from contact with Francesco, even when in his early 20s the son wrote to his father, begging him for the opportunity to meet. In any case, the 17-year-old showed how fierce and determined she could be, such as when after she became duchess, she did not hesitate to don armour in defence of the
2: city of Cremona, in her husband's absence. All of this
0: was yet to come. For now, in 1447, Duke Filippo Maria had died, leaving the throne vacant. However, the citizens of Milan, as the old Duke drew increasingly detached from the proverbial levers of power, did not sit around twiddling their thumbs. When the lid was closed on the duke's coffin and a rather indifferent city observed the funeral of this man who had become somewhat of a stranger to it, the prominent citizens already had a new government in place and the day after the Repubblica Ambrosiana, the Republic of St. Ambrose, the patron of Milan, was declared. Four men took the initiative whose names you can remember or forget as you like. Antonio Trivulzio, Teodoro Bossi, Giorgio Lilampugnano, and Innocenzo Cotta. They gathered the government officials, city officials, representatives of the notaries, lawyers, merchants, bankers, abbots, and university professors, and declared the rebirth of the old communal structure that had never actually disappeared, but been present under the overlaying imperial structure of the duchy. There was no time to bask in the refound glory of the communal period. The situation in the city was not good from an economic point of view, and tensions were rising, due also to the heavy taxation system. The members of the new government promised to abolish taxes in favor of an honor system. If every citizen did their civic duty for the well being of the Republic, they could guide them to a new and and brighter future. It didn't work, and the new government faction ended up having to tax themselves to keep their new republic afloat. Then, of course, there was the problem of the rest of the duchy outside of Milan. The cities of Brescia, Piacenza, Pavia, and Vigevano took the opportunity to rebel, assaulting government buildings, burning tax record, and destroying the citadels, and then selling off the materials and furnishings. There were also external threats, were threatening the controlled city of Alessandria. I am very pleased to say that the Milanese hired one of my favourite mercenaries, Bartolomeo Colleoni, Bartholomew Balls, he of the insignia with the three sets of testicles, and he managed to defeat the French, blocking the threat on that side. Unfortunately, he would later switch to Venice and be one of the few mercenary captains to make it all the way to the walls of Milan. Indeed, it was Venice that posed the greatest threat. As soon as they saw the opportunity, they took the cities of Piacenza and even Ladi, closer to Milan itself and to the southeast. At this point, the Repubblica Ambrosiana needed some new muscle. So, perhaps in an attempt to keep him busy and away from them, they turned to Francesco Sforza. They promised him loads of cash, as well as lordship over the cities of Brescia and Verona. So, Francesco started off doing what he did best, winning. He took back Piacenza and Lodi, and then defeated the Venetian army at Caravaggio on the 15th of September, 1448. Obviously the place, Caravaggio, not the painter. They weren't following him around. At this point, Venice sought peace with Sforza, and so the Peace of Rivoltella was signed. This agreement also had a secret clause in which Venice would support Sforza in his bid to become Duke of Milan. To make a long story short, a story that includes more diplomatic attempts by the Milanese Republic and the descent of the city into famine with markets selling cat, dog and rat meat, an increasing repression of opposition and attempts to hide the real situation, a revolt brought a new revolutionary government to power, which was more than happy to hand control over to Francesco Sforza, who finally entered the city as the new duke on the 25th of March, 1450. And so, the Visconti dynasty had died out. Well, the name at least. And so, began that of the Sforza. The rule of the first Sforza duke would last for 16 years, and in that time, Milan would further transition towards being an important international political player increasing its population, economy, and prestige. One of the first changes he made to the city was the construction of a castle worthy of an important duchy on the base of the old Visconti fortress. The castle, which you can see today, is known as Castello Sforcesco. Once again, all of that was in the future. One of the first things to do was to try and bring some legitimacy to to Sforza's conquest of the duchy. A delegation needed to be sent to a higher power, i.e. the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick III. Now, despite being a Frederick, he was no Frederick Barbarossa or Frederick II Wonder of the World, but he was the highest official that could add the required legitimacy to Francesco Sforza's new position the delegation would have to be headed by a high-ranking and important personality so as not to offend the emperor. Obviously, the best person would have been the would-be Sforza duke himself, Francesco, but he wasn't about to head off on a long trip with such a new and unstable situation in his would-be duchy. He also had to consider that Emperor Frederick had his eyes on the duchy and having an obstacle that stood between him and the throne walk straight into his palace would have been a very tempting opportunity. The next best thing was the would-be heir to the would-be duchy, Francesco and Bianca Maria's first-born son, Galeazzo Maria, the confusing name given as a nod to the tradition of the Visconti. Now, there was just one little issue with this idea. The lad was eight years old. Apparently, though, he was so intelligent, well-spoken, and precocious that his parents, starting from his mother, felt that he would be up to the job. They had great faith in him, despite some worries about a cruel streak that was starting to show with the pages and animals of the household. This would eventually extend into the bedroom. He grew up developing an almost sadistic sexual appetite. Unfortunately, the great trust and admiration his parents felt was shared by the boy himself and he made no attempt at false modesty, something which would come back to bite him pretty hard as his character developed over the years. Despite Emperor Frederick III's misgivings about receiving a delegation led by an eight-year-old, Galeazzo Maria managed to win him over and score a diplomatic victory. Now, it wasn't a complete diplomatic victory because the emperor did not go so far as to recognise Francesco's claim to the duchy, mostly because, as the theoretical vassal-overlord of the duchy and northern Italy in general, the emperor hoped, as we said, to bring the duchy of Milan under his direct rule. The recognition would be long in coming, but it would come under a successor of Frederick, but at a very high cost. For now, another issue needed to be dealt with, the ever-present threat of La Serenissima,
2: the most serene republic of Venice.
0: Grazie mille, thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for the sketch. I would in particular like to thank my lovely Patreon supporters. Starting with the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Julia G, Justin E, Old Johnny Milwaukee, Orlando D, Kevin, Mark P, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Mela, Michu Parchus, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Philip B, Rachel, Rocco B, who has moved up a level, Roberta D, Rod L, Rodney, and Rudy F, Russell F. Scott L. Sean Shelby Stephen and Tap Downs Down Under. And of course the Tippy Top Maria Montessori and Dante Lighieri Level, Paolo Lisa K. Andrew M. Peter W. David L. Renat David C. Oak J. W. Sen David A. And Karen D. If you are so inclined, you can get in touch hello at ahistoryofitaly.com You can also become a Patreon supporter and have access to episodes without advertising and extra content. Once again, thank you very much for listening and until next time, Arrivederci! So, here is our little prodigy.
1: Your most noble majesty, you humble me and my father with your most gracious hospitality. Allow me to present you with these simplest gifts for you and Her Majesty the Empress. Oh, wow, you never get me gift like that.
0: Not now, dear.
1: I know that we cannot in any way match the greatness of your majesty and the beauty of our Empress, well, you are on the right path.
0: Enough. These gifts are indeed satisfactory to us. But now I wish to know more about you, child. What makes you so special?
1: Well, I can roll up my tongue in a tube, like this. <gasps>
0: <gasps> so I can do that. Look. Mm-hmm. You are not doing it right. Of course not. I don't want to make the little one feel bad.
1: You are most kind, Your Grace. If I may, I can also touch the tip of my nose with my tongue. Mm, Like
0: so. (gasps) It's a miracle. A miracle? How is that a miracle? He's just doing this. Uh, 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 uh. The child does things the Emperor can't. Truly, he's a wonder. That's enough now. Wonder child, is that all?
1: Well, I can rub my tummy and pat my head at the same time. <gasps> and then reverse will verse them.
0: <gasps> oh, all of you stop with this nonsense. Galeazzo Maria Sforza, you are indeed remarkable. You shall have the honour of dining with us tomorrow evening at 8.
1: Forgive me, your majesty, but that is my bedtime.
0: Uh all right, seven.
1: Story time. Six bath time. Five. Latin lessons. Four? Perfect your grace.
0: Well, I'm glad we've settled that then.
1: If I might, your grace.
0: Now what?
1: Might I have dessert even if I don't finish all my vegetables?
0: Oh for heaven's sake, all right.